Hello and welcome to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. This is very exciting. There's all three of us, and not Andy, obviously, but the three girls. Do you know what else is exciting? Andy's stand-up show that we're all going to, was it next Friday? Not this Friday coming, but next one? <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. I'm so excited. Yeah, me too. I'm also so excited to be sharing a bed with Hannah and Catherine. <laughs> It's really nice of you to let me do that. Thank I you. I noticed that there was no oh response to that in the group chat. Just, <laughs> I, know. I know. I was like, I'm going to stay at yours. Is that okay? And then there was no response. So I'll put it out here on the podcast. said yes. It is okay. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then we're all going to meet up and go around off the seat, right? Yeah. Oh, buzzing. Okay, great. So on with the questions. We've got some great questions today. Um, okay, Michaela. Always good to start with a question that starts like this. Probably not a question for the podcast, but a question I've been wondering. All questions are questions for the podcast. I see lots of people in the gym doing resistance training in converse type shoes or even just socks. Is this preferable for posture slash form um, more than supportive trainers? I have a slight niggle in the sole of my foot and wondering if that is related or not. Hmm. Well, I would say if you were doing an exercise where you needed to be stable and flat to the ground, then like exercise like squats and deadlifts, you might prefer to have flat shoes on. If you've got running shoes, what they tend to do is they want you to be in the ball of your feet, like they roll your feet forward. So that's not going to be ideal for squats or deadlifts. Um, so that's probably why people are wearing those shoes or, or just in their bare socks. Um, but I don't know, like if you've got a niggle on your foot, go to a foot doctor. What's the foot doctor called? A podiatrist? Go to the foot doctor. Um, <laughs> or, or sometimes I just think, like I I wear kind of like trainer type, trainer type fashion shoes. I don't know, just because I wear them everywhere, right? <laughs> Real like emphasis behind them. And whenever people see me wearing my socks in videos, it's because I use my shoe to hold up my phone. That's uh. why. Uh, not, not because oh much better idea to, to do pull-ups in your socks but you could argue less weight to pull up yeah you know I find it makes a difference with pull-ups not wearing any shoes <laughs> just that little bit of extra weight really pushes what, it extra weight at the end of a long lever with your whole body I don't know it might do <laughs> what are you on now because you got up to like 16 pull-ups or something right yeah, and then I was trying to aim for like 18 and I've just completely regressed. So I th- I'm back down to like eight, but I'll I'll get there again. What about you? I've not, I just do, you know, I think there reaches a point where it's like, is there any point doing more? <laughs> and yeah, I don't know. So I can, my marker is always, I want to be able to do three sets of 10 in the morning. And that's like my marker of, I'm probably in pretty decent shape. And then if I can't do that, I'm like, maybe I've been eating a little bit too much or I'm not recovering well or like something needs to change. So that's generally what I do. I don't know how many I could do in a row, but I think it's a little bit like, you know how like a minute plank is a good marker for people? Like, hey, if you could get up to holding the plank for a minute, that's awesome. But then when you hear people like, yeah, so now I'm on 12 minutes, I'm like, "Mm, that's maybe a bit of a waste of time, you know? Like, law of diminishing returns really kicks in there and I think probably the same with pull-ups it's like that totally like that rings I had like a dream this was like maybe a couple of months ago 
and it was about pull-ups I was in the gym and I was doing pull-ups and you know when like, I don't know if you ever have dreams where you're like running really quickly and it like feels really easy this was with pull-ups and I just like wasn't stopping and I got to like 30 40 pull-ups and I was like I better stop now because like I just look too good <laughs> I forgot to tell you guys about that oh a great dream it felt amazing it was amazing <laughs> unfortunately not reality no uh, well okay right Sarah Kennedy any tips um to with ab exercises and not feeling them in your neck and traps uh, particularly crunches and oblique crunches Shona I feel like you'll have good tips for this so if you feel um ab exercises in your neck it's because your abs are stronger than your neck so what you need to do is just keep pushing through um I think it's quite common for like people who are quite new to these things to to feel it in their neck but honestly it's kind of like a lot of things you'll get used to it like your neck will get stronger and if you're doing like a crunch maybe like support your head with your hands you could do that that's another option Mm -hmm. traps feeling it in your traps did they say yeah which makes me think they're kind of like so there is like I'd actually never really thought about it like that, but that is totally true. Like you have to hold your head up. And I think a lot of people have never held their head up in that position or not for any length of time. So that there's probably an element of strengthening your neck into your traps. But then I do think a lot of people tense and that's not just with like, that's with like every exercise really. Like you'll see people doing lateral raises, but their shoulders are right up next to their ears because they're so tense doing it. So I would think about that as well. Like think about pulling your shoulders down and not tensing up your traps too much. But yeah, I'd imagine someone with like a Deirdre neck. Like, <laughs> yeah. Deirdre from Coronation Street. <laughs> that was um that was one of the things when I first started lifting weights, that was what my mum said to me. Make sure you don't lose your neck. I was like, okay. Because I think she just saw like, I guess if you look at power lifters, because so mm-hmm. much of theirs is traps. Mm-hmm. Well, not power lifters, Olympic lifters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, Tess. Hi, Emma Story Gordon. Can you give me some advice as to how to approach the gym workouts? I'm going to go Monday to Friday. Should I alter- alternate between push and pull? So I've I've actually answered this anyway below. But if you're going Monday to Friday, I'd quite like push, pull, rest or cardio or yoga or Pilates or like something you enjoy. And then Thursday legs, Friday full body. The order doesn't necessarily matter. It's just two workouts or rest two workouts or rest or like active recovery if you feel like you want to or you feel up to it um and then the second part of the question I thought I would cover because it's the first check-ins tomorrow for the vast majority of people um which is a little bit confusing because for some people it's not but there's only maybe five of those people (laughs) (laughs) anyway um the the question is is there a template for check-ins or do we simply write up um how it's been going so far and when is our deadline no you will all get an email at I think 6 or 6 15 a.m tomorrow and you have Friday to answer it ideally before lunchtime if you can realistically the quicker you get your check-in in the quicker it will be responded to because we answer them in order that they come in um So yeah, the deadline is pretty strict. We need those done on Friday so that we have time to answer them and get them back to you in a timely fashion. And 
that you don't just write how you've been doing. It's quite a structured check-in. You'll see it's um, you go through a form with specific questions and specific things that we need to know. And then we give you feedback on those and make any changes that are needed. Anything to add on check-ins, guys? Um, no, I'm really excited. Um, I train on a Friday morning and then I go straight to the coffee shop and answer check-ins. So if you want it replied to like first thing in the morning, then yeah, put it in like when you get it. Um, and then I have a sports massage in the afternoon. So I'm very excited about that. So excited about that. Um, and then I'll do... Sorry? Get them often? No, I've not had one in a while. Um, and the guy who's doing it is really jacked. So I'm excited about him like pummeling me. Um, and then I'm going to reply to some more on Saturday morning and then the rest on Monday morning. And then ideally that's it. What about you, Catherine? I'm pretty much the same as Shona. I'll train Friday morning and then I'm check-ins most of Friday, some on Saturday and then any stragglers on Monday. Mm-hmm. But ideally, yeah, we, we answer them in order. So like you want yours answered sooner, then get it in as early as you can. Unless yeah. you've got like a really exciting name. Maybe that one will get its way to the top of the list. Oh, because we'll just like see it in the list and be like, ooh, I'll answer this really one. Name, yep. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't know it worked like that, but interesting. I, what I do want to emphasize about the check-ins is these are probably the most important part of coaching. And actually I had a coaching call with one of the coaches on AFM yesterday and part of the discussion, she was like, I was on a sales call with someone or a getting to know you call or whatever you want to call it. And she was like, I don't know what I would really do differently than what they've already tried. So let's say they were already given don't know, 1600 calories, 100 grams of protein and three workouts a week or something. And I was like, that's not what the magic is. Like the magic is your coaching. Realistically, I would hope that most coaches are giving relatively similar targets but it's how you deliver those targets. It's how you make them practical. It's how you support people through the process of implementing them. That's the magic of coaching, right? Your initial targets, like they're a basic calculation. They don't take a hell of a lot of work. Where the coaching comes in, where the value is, is you doing the check-ins, you assessing your week, you asking for help when you need it, you finding different ways to implement the nutrition into your life so that you can stick to those targets in a way that's not restricted, restricted, restrictive, um, yeah, but I thought it was a good point about coaching isn't about calorie targets or really workouts or anything like our workouts are pretty great. But even still, it's not really about that. It's about the implementation and supporting you guys. Absolutely. I like back in the day, way, 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 way before ESG was my coach. Um, I had um, a nutrition coach who was like associated with CrossFit. And what they did was they gave you calories on the Monday. And then the following Monday, they gave you a new set of calories. And then the following Monday, they gave you a new set of calories. And I was just constantly chasing my tail because I was still trying to like achieve the targets of the first week. And there was no check-in. There was no like behavior change, which I think is like, I mean, anyone can find what ca- their calorie target should be. But having someone support you through behavior change and accountability and sticking to those targets, that's what makes coaching really important mm-hmm. and do you think like they were giving you like a different calorie target each week to make you feel like you were getting something yeah. out of the process exactly but I mean I, I pay for your new calories right what's that you've got to pay for your new calories 
<laughs> but I, I think that's actually quite common. I used to, not quite to that extent, but I used to definitely notice that I would do that when I was a new coach. Like I would change stuff kind of unnecessarily because I was like, oh, I've got, you know, if there's a check-in, I'll have, like, I'll have to do something. Whereas, you know, once you get a bit more confident as a coach, you're like, well, it's working, keep going. Or actually the targets need to, don't need to change. What we need to change is your ability to stick to them. So how can I help you do that? Um, but yeah, I think it is quite common or you just change the workouts every week because then there's something different every week and that's completely unnecessary. And if anything, it's going to hold people back. So it's often not change that's needed. It's just consistency. But that's the hardest part, isn't it? In it. In it. Okay, right. Francesca, I'm in my first week of Commit 6 and I'm really loving it so far. I've struggled with binge eating slash emotional eating for some years. I've had a great few days on track, but yesterday I binged. What are some of the ways to avoid binging when you know you are going over your calories that day? Ways to avoid the all or nothing mindset. I work in a small office sorry a small office team and they all eat unhealthy unhealthily so sometimes it's hard to be strong now the reason um so a few points here I will reach out to this individual and check that it's not actual binge eating but it doesn't sound like it to me so if you're like oh the office is bringing in cakes and sometimes I eat a bit of cake that makes me go with my calories that's not binge eating but just in case anyone's listening and is like oh binge eating is actually an eating disorder the main difference there is the total loss of control. And it normally manifests as like sitting in your room alone overeating, not, oh, I'm in the office and I ate some snacks that somebody else brought in. Like that's that's overeating as opposed to binge eating. But because we use it as such a like slang almost term now, I think it gets thrown around, but it's always important to identify what that is. So if you're feeling a complete loss of control around food, if you're... I don't know, eating eating to excess on your own to the point that, you, you know, way past hunger to the point that you feel uncomfortable, that's something different. And then I would refer you to go and speak to your doctor or to, to a specialist in that area. But this to me sounds like overeating. I think one thing that like will really help is if it is like a case of overeating is going into work prepared, like packing yourself a lunch and packing a couple of snacks and things are going to be really filling. So what doesn't happen is that at the end of the day you get home and you then are using food a, because like you're hungry and then B because you're like trying to deal with a bit of stress. So I think like that approach of making sure you're not hungry, or like absolutely starving when you get home and being prepared with your food will really, really help. Um, and then we can like look at ways of dealing with if you're feeling like stressed or emotional or sad, or you're like using food to kind of distract yourself from those things. We can find different sort of strategies and different actions that you can do instead of using food to deal with those emotions. Mm -hmm. And definitely mention this in your check-in as well. A really good tip that was from Dawn on the group check-in that we did on the weekend. She said that she's started a new job quite cool actually so she's moved to Cornwall and started a new job as what would you say it is like, like a painting a, painting like yachts yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there couldn't be anything more Cornish like I've moved to Cornwall now I'm gonna paint boats but anyway she was like that's actually really helped like one it's a physical job right and you you're obviously working in an office so not quite the same but she was like I bring what I'm gonna have to work and that's what I eat and I know that seems so obvious and so simple, but like 
bring a nice lunch, bring some snacks, even bring like, I don't know, some options of snacks that you might not then eat, right? So it might be like, I'm going to bring like a few pieces of fruit, a protein bar, and I don't know, like a yogurt or something. And you might not eat all of them, but then it's like, okay, well, I've got this stuff here. If I do want to eat it, I'll eat it. But I know it's within my total calories. And then Dawn was saying that she was like, I just do it on the days I don't go to work as well. It gives me a bit of structure of, okay, I know what I'm going to have. And I just have the stuff that I have. And I just pretend to myself that there isn't loads of other options in the house. I'm just like, this is what I'm having. And I make that decision once. And I think that comes back to the making one decision and sticking to it. And then you kind of avoid all the temptation throughout the day. And it's the whole like commit to something 100% instead of 98%. So if you go into the day, like I'm 98% going to stick to the lunch that I bought, but that 2% is like when anyone offers you a biscuit, you'd be like, oh, well, I have, oh, I could have it. And then I'd have a smaller dinner and then, oh, no. And it, that constant choices around food is what makes dieting so fatiguing. If you're just like, I bring in my lunch, it's nice, it's healthy, it's something I enjoy and it fits my goals. And that's what I eat at work. Plus I've got these snack options that I'm going to have. Once you do that for a couple of days, you commit to it fully. It actually becomes so much easier. It's the option, the 2% option that you're giving to yourself to be like, yeah, I'll have that. That's what holds you back, I think. Or that's what makes it tiring. Um, I find that I pack my bag full of snacks now because like I have to have snacks for a toddler. And first thing I've noticed is like the snacks that I make for my toddler are made with love and um, it's always really healthy snacks as well. So like I'll chop up cucumber into like little slices. I have a little pack of cheese. I'll have like tomatoes all sliced. And those are things that I'm really excited about giving him and I'll have as well. And they're really healthy snacks. Um, packets of raisins as well. Quite a lot of toddler snacks are good adult snacks as well. So yeah. I think making things with love as if you're making them for someone else. So you're actually going to be excited about eating them. That is such a good point. Because I think a lot of the time, like, I know I'm like this when I make my dinner. I'm like, I don't care. It's just me. Like, And then I'm like, it's never really that nice, right? Shocking. Because <laughs> it's all just like shoved in one pan. And I'm like, no. Nah. Stir fry. <laughs> yeah, stir fry every single night. Sometimes it's just frozen. But like, it's got worse. Instead of actually buying fresh stir fry a lot of the time now, I just use frozen veg. Which isn't even a stir fry. Like frozen peas. No, no, legit, like mixed frozen veg in a stir fry pan. You make um, food for Jordan as well, or do you just make your own uh, meal? We just, we just have our own meals. Jordan's quite like me, but he, ha- he has the same thing every single day. So he'll go through phases. It used to be, he used to eat so much carbs, right? So he used to have a whole pack of, um, what are the pasta parcels called? Like tortellini. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'd have a whole pack of tortellini, but then he always has a wrap folded in half and half again in the toaster. And he's like, yeah, because the outside is crispy and the inside is like whatever. But he'll have that and he'll have like a whole thing of sauce like on the tortellini with two wraps as well. And I'm like, that's like carbs on carbs on carbs. Yeah, there's no protein or veg. Jordan, what are you doing? <laughs> he doesn't eat veg really. But anyway, Imagine now- Imagine like, living with Emma Story Gordon and eating like that. Not eating protein, yeah. now he's changed into wraps every single day chicken wrap every day sometimes twice a day right yeah i'm glad he's got some chicken in there that's good we tend to just like eat the same things all the time um which i actually think is probably relatively common for most people like more probably more variety than i do but 
um I think people like to think that they want more variety than they do and then like oh well that's easy and we had it last night just make it again I just go through phases of things it was omelette for a long time not anymore <laughs> no Catherine have you gone like do you are you still eating any meat I eat fish still okay. um so I'll maybe have like salmon um, just and it's not around yeah <laughs> just like nibbling on like drumsticks and stuff like chicken drumsticks <laughs> But I'm not vegan. I'm just pretty much almost, almost vegetarian. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically like me. Um, okay. Right. We're up to date on those questions. Shona, sure, you had one, didn't you? Yep. Um, okay. I had quite a few. Let me just find them. Right. Okay. So are some people more reactive than others to being hungrier the more exercise they do? I'm really noticing it and I would love to know if anyone feels like this. So for context, this person started doing their workouts and it was three 30-minute sessions a week. So in answer to the question, yes, there could, like, there's really um, a huge variety in hunger response to exercise between people. Some people actually have a suppression of hunger. Some people have a massive increase in hunger. So it's not quite as simple as like, exercise more and this will happen so there is that element it also depends on the type of exercise that you're doing and then on top of that and we speak about this quite a lot but the expectation effect of exercise increasing hunger probably also does increase hunger so it's probably not a useful thought process to say I must be someone who responds to exercise by massively increasing hunger because then you'll probably be even more hungry right but in real like realistically yeah the research shows that some people find exercise increases hunger and some people find it reduces hunger what do you guys find um i so we all are exercise uh, people exercise in the morning aren't we mm. um i find that it makes me not want to have a big breakfast afterwards so i'll just have like a protein shake after exercise so yeah i think it maybe does have like a curbing appetite effect on me I find that I'm hungry like after I go like I'm walking back from the gym I can start to like feel my stomach rumbling but I think it's just because like I'm expecting breakfast time anyway it's like that time anyway um but I find like if I do if I increase like cardio so say if I'm like running I think my hunger increases but like later on in the day not straight afterwards like my appetite is very much suppressed like straight after the run I don't want to eat anything for like a good couple of hours but I find that like I'm just hungrier in general I'm like in a snacky mood more than usual yeah and and I think there's probably the acute response and then the like more chronic response I definitely find that cardio will make me more hungry so like the last week I've, I've been doing more steps I mean, it's not cardio, but just like walking more. And I've definitely noticed an increase in appetite, but it doesn't, I don't think it's like, it's not like the day I did more steps, I was more hungry. It's like after three or four days of doing that, then my appetite increases. So yeah, it's it's interesting, but I do think it also can become a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. So that's something to be aware of as well. What is it? What's the book that you recommend, Emma? It's about expectation. The expectation effect yeah but then I think even um like the thing is whether or not exercise increases hunger for you you have to do it like 
and I don't mean to get results or for fat loss or for, like literally just for health. Like it is the most important thing you can do for your health. So to me, it's like exercise shouldn't be an option for people. Like everyone should be exercising, even if you don't have any like physical goals, it's just to maintain health. Much like, you know, everyone should go and get a dentist checkup or something, even if they don't have teeth problems at the time, or you should have a GP, even if you don't need them right now, like you would do these things for your health. But I think sometimes we think, oh, exercise is like an optional extra bonus thing. It's like, no, no, no. Like, I don't think someone can be healthy if they don't exercise at least like two to three times a week. All right, then. Um, I've got more questions on that. Um, okay, next one is, when life feels like it's beating you down and it feels a bit relentless, what tips or tricks do you have to pull yourself back to balance and perspective? Breathing exercise? Weed? A cold shower? I'm just trying to find quick things to stop me feeling overwhelmed in a day. Did you say weed? That's what it says. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I mean, wow. Can you imagine that, like, in my check-in, I was just like, yeah, I swear by drugs. Yeah, drugs. <laughs> drugs are the answer. And wine. Um, No, I said, in, in answer to this, that, so, when life feels like it's beating you down and it feels a bit relentless. This sounds I, like a song. It does, yeah. When life feels. I just called. Yeah, <laughs> and now wherever I am, welcome to the ESG musical. <laughs> um, great. Um, next promo vid. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say we don't do victim mentalities here, do we? No. And we don't feel like victims of life. Life doesn't feel like it gets us down. I think that's the first thing. Um. I was, I've been doing a lot of reading on resilience recently because I'm writing a lecture on it for my pre and postnatal course. Um, and one key thing about resilient people is that they recognize that in order to feel the good emotions and the good parts of life, then shit parts of life are also totally necessary. And that I think that's just, that's just a really key thing that sometimes life is a bit hard, but everyone experiences challenges. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's just your interpretation of things as well. And I'm not saying like, obviously awful things happen and there's really like, I'm not being like, you can reframe everything, but you have to, like, it's the acceptance part, isn't it? It's like, you know what, bad things do happen. Life is hard at certain times, but I'm sure that you can, and this is where things like gratitude are so useful because you might be like, oh, it's really stressful, but hey, like how beautiful the sky was this morning or I've got mates I can text or you know, like little things that when you're in a bad mood it's hard to point out or when you feel like life's getting you down it's hard to point out all the the benefits or like all the amazing things in your life as well that's when gratitude's most important right when gratitude's easy and you're like everything's amazing I love it all like you don't really need to do it you don't need to to practice it when things are hard you still need to point out yeah but I've got this this and this and like, actually, most of my life is pretty great. And for most people, that is true. And then, yeah, there's there's a period of time where things are a bit tougher. But I think, yeah, I agree with Shona. It's more about like your perception of these things. I was reading about this study done on people immediately after um, September 11th terrorist attacks in America. 
So like generally people felt these really strong negative emotions like fear, anxiety, etc., anger. But the people who were the most resilient also felt positive emotions alongside that. So just like Emma's saying, like they felt grateful to be alive. They felt more love for their family and the people that survived. And they also felt interest, like being interested in life and being interested in current events is a positive emotion. So that is really interesting as well. That when when like bad things happen, it's okay to also find positive emotions within that yeah because it gives you perspective right like all that stuff I was stressing about last week before September or you know whatever awful thing happened you're like wow that just puts into perspective how unimportant that stuff is and how important it is to you know live life while we have it and what's quite interesting I don't know if there's any hard research behind this but I listened to a talk and it might have been a TED talk and it was about how most people know what PTSD is but most people don't know what PTSG is do you know what that is what is it it? post-traumatic stress gratitude oh no maybe I said that wrong it's not meant to have the s okay it's just post-traumatic gross right and and the argument was actually most people who go through trauma experience experience post-traumatic gross and then there are some people who experience post-traumatic stress. And then actually that kind of went on to the people who tend to experience PTSD tend to have had adverse childhood trauma. But anyway, that kind of goes off tangent. But I think it's an it, it's a useful thing to think about. And then I think about all the all the most negative people I know actually have nothing bad going on in their lives. Like and actually all the, the people I know who are the most positive could on paper have really awful things going on right so for example the most positive people I've ever known were the breast cancer survivors that I used to work with like the I guess just like the different view of life they had and very much like a smell the flowers mentality and when something awful like that happens to you I think it does give you so much perspective on life and what isn't isn't important and they tend to be so positive and you're like actually realistically a lot of really hard stuff has happened to you whereas some people like the most negative people I know it's like nothing bad's actually happened you're just really negative about like spilt milk or like being late for the bus or something like yeah Yeah. interesting got another question yeah here it comes get ready when should I prioritize strength building over fat loss? I'm five foot five, now 61 kilos, drop of three kilos since August. I don't know how much more fat to aim to lose. I have a busy social life, so my deficit isn't as big as it could be. So wondering if I should just move away from that and focus on strength building. Ooh, that's exciting that you're already thinking about it. Like even if you're maybe not quite ready yet to move away from like purely just like focusing on fat loss to strength training. But I think like, one key thing here is that you can do both at the same time. It does very much depend on your experience in strength training. So if you haven't been doing strength training for like a significantly long period of time consistently, then you can do both at the same time. This also depends on like how much fat you have to lose. Um, but I think like, just yeah, just the fact that you're considering it is probably a sign that you're very close to being ready to actually be like okay I'm done with fat loss now and I'm gonna move to strength training I think it's like 
like a, a really positive focus to have if you're then putting maybe like fat loss second and just kind of letting that happen as a byproduct of all the other habits that you're doing. Um, I don't know, Shona, how long have they been strength training? Do you know? Not sure. I, don't, I can't remember who it was that asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really like that approach. I think it, we make it way too binary of you're either losing fat or you're building strength or you're losing fat or you're at maintenance. Like what you could say is, fat loss isn't that important to me now and building strength is and my realistically in this question it sounds like and my social life is right so as an example let's say your maintenance was 2000 you're dieting on 1600 and losing body fat why don't we come up to 1800 your fat loss will slow but you'll have more energy for the gym and you'll have more of a social life or more calories to play with the meals out and things it doesn't always have to be like i have this goal or this goal you could just say i'm changing the dial a little bit and exactly what Catherine said like can you still lose fat if that's still your goal while you're also living the life that you want to live? Yeah, probably. Like, I don't think you need to choose there. Agreed. Um, there's a question here from Rachel. Have you read this one? I don't think so. Okay. This one was from last, like yesterday. I think one of my many problems is feeling deprived when I'm eating less than the men in my life. <laughs> I'm five foot two, but usually have the same portion. And I think it's used to try to counterbalance this by doing more exercise than them. I think it stems from the Ladette culture of the 90s when we played as hard, worked as hard and drank as hard as the lads. We were sold the best. Oh, that's that's that's. I'm totally here for this question. We were sold the myth of the cool girl that she could keep up with the boys, etc. It was sort of a celebration for adopting male traits. But if you had to look like Zoe Ball, Sarah Cox, Cameron Diaz, it was a confusing time to say the least. Have you have you seen that film Gone Girl? And there's a really famous speech about cool girls, and basically she the speech is about is what Rachel's saying is how like you have to be like absolutely gorgeous and but don't wear much makeup you have to be like a size six but eat hot dogs and burgers with the lads like there's so much expected of being a cool girl I love that question that's so good what do you think yeah I saw a really good uh video of this and it must it was kind of similar it was like what men want like naturally massive boobs with a tiny waist and huge like you know like completely unrealistic like no one has those proportions without surgery but also you have to look completely natural without any makeup but it should look like you're wearing makeup but like yeah unrealistic um re-resenting that I think probably comes back to acceptance again like you are a smaller person you burn less calories it's not fair well I mean it is fair but like it's not fun but that's the way it is. So you need less food. Sadly. I think a good point that Emma, you sometimes make is, okay, if you want to be able to like eat that much and like do the same as these other people in your life, then you would need to switch your whole life for their life and you wouldn't have any of the things. Yeah. Do you want to be a man? <laughs> I mean, even then, like even if you did transition, which Rachel, I'm not suggesting, might be quite extreme just to eat more calories. But realistically, your base metabolic rate wouldn't change that much. You might build a bit more muscle if you went on testosterone therapy, but you'd still be, you'd still have a smaller frame. Like you'd still be five foot two. So yeah, you need, you need less. And then it's like, what, 
the situation isn't going to change, right? All you can change is your thought process around it. So whether you choose to find this restrictive or not, it will be the same. You can just accept it and be like, hey, that's that's life. That's how it is. I'm going to make adaptions to make sure I can still reach my goals. Or you can like find it restrictive. Like I think the same is with impatience, right? Like it's going to take as long as it's going to take. You can choose to be impatient and frustrated by lack of progress or you can accept that and get on with your life yeah i think an important thing there as well is making sure that like diet and exercise isn't completely at the forefront of everything that you're doing like make sure that you're finding other things in life that you enjoy doing and you get like pleasure out of that and not not just food like food yeah is amazing it's so nice to like go out for a nice dinner or have a glass of wine enjoy those things in moderation but like find other things <laughs> oh, yeah, wine with the lads yeah maybe pints with the lads yeah. <laughs> I think something to think about as well is examining your own internalized misogyny so this whole like um cool girl aesthetic is like not being like the other girls and wanting to be one of the lads like what's wrong with being one of the girls what's wrong with eating like a woman what's wrong with that why do we have to drink like a man why do we have to eat like a man do you know what I mean yeah yeah and why does that make you more fun oh it sure does not yeah um or become a lesbian and then you're not, not allowed to hang out with men as much. You're not allowed to hang out with men when you're a lesbian. <laughs> no men ever. So yeah, there you go. I mean, it's it, and I wouldn't say it's annoying, but I'm always a bit jealous when Jordan's eating like four chicken wraps for lunch. <laughs> I'm like, I would be the size perhaps if I did that. <laughs> also just feel like so full like eating that much food Uh, well also i would fall asleep in the afternoon yeah um i have some questions from clients as well it's quite it's quite a few so some of them might need to wait until the next podcast okay wait can we actually start on does anyone have there was one i copy and pasted um the other day or maybe oh right here it is um okay right hi can I check if I'm going a bit crazy I'm away with loads of people skiing and they're doing normal things like apres ski what's that oh that's like when you go and drink after skiing oh right okay yeah and dinners together they even eat lunch (laughs) shocking um and you'd say that the majority have a healthy BMI I'm watching them and wondering how do people do that also, being with males, they eat so much. This kind of links, actually. Yeah. It's as if they have a secret to a normal existence that I've never been told about. Meanwhile, I'm trying to concentrate on protein, feeling cheeky for having two pints after two years' abstinence, although that's disturbing my sleep, and worrying that I'm not going running. I want to be like them. Does anyone know their secret? So I think, I mean, the secret is they are bigger human beings, mm-hmm. and they will expend more energy than you. Then another thing that I notice quite a lot with people that you think are always eating is that when you really watch their behaviors, and I'm not telling you to like spy on these people, but they might leave half their dinner or they have a big dinner, but then they don't eat in between. Like the point I want to make is they are not defying energy balance. If they're eating that much and staying a healthy weight, they're about at maintenance. So that either means 
they're eating that much in front of you, but hey, they don't really snack after dinner or they don't snack in between meals. Or they're eating that much and they're expending that much. Or in the case that may be here, one, I mean, like skiing all day is going to expend a lot of energy, but this is probably a week's holiday, right? So it might very well be that they are in a surplus, but when they're at home, they're not, right? So like if I ate in a surplus for a week, it would make absolutely no difference. Realistically, I might put on a little bit of fat, but you're not going to notice that after a couple of days skiing. And then if you go back to your normal, then yeah, you're a healthy BMI range. So it could be that they're on holiday. So they're eating big dinners, but that's not normally what they do. They probably don't normally go for drinks after skiing because they're not skiing. And they probably don't normally have massive dinners every night because they're not with their mates on holiday. So I, I don't think it's it's unlikely to be normal behavior for them, but this is a good point to make. So I think a lot of people are like, oh, one of my friends just eats all the time and like never has any problems with their weight. That friend is eating at maintenance for them. That might not be maintenance for you, and you don't know what they're doing outside of that time. So you don't know that, hey, they don't have a car and they walk everywhere or they don't really snack in between those meals. So they do have big meals, but in between they don't. Or they do seem to snack every all the time, but they don't ever really have big meals, right? Like you don't know what's going on outside of the times that you see them, but you can be sure that if they're saying at the same way, they are eating at maintenance. Anything to add? I think they're just all really good points. It's like you have a snapshot, don't you, of someone's life. You don't see everything that they're doing all the time. It's very much like social media and mm. think that like everything's amazing, but actually that's only like 0.5% of someone's life. Yeah. yeah. And I think this comes up quite a lot with often like ex-competitors who are like, I'm reverse dieting. I've got up to 3000 calories a day and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, we're seeing a tiny snapshot. Like you've been eating 3000 calories for two days and you're not, you've not put on weight. Shocking. Or you probably have put on weight, but you've not put on body fat, right? Because you were so lean before you still look like you're in shape. But like, if you continued to eat that and it was a big surplus for you, you would obviously put on the weight or like I used to eat about way over two, probably between 2000 and 2500 calories when I lived in London and I was the leanest that I've ever been because I was just so unbelievably active, right? And if my clients had been like, right, well, I'll just copy the, her diet. Realistically, when you copy these influencers, it's like, yeah, but they're full-time PTs. Mm. They warm up with every single one of their clients. And then they're walking around, like moving weights around and stuff. And then they probably train after work. Like, of course they can eat more calories than you. So I think it's just bearing in mind, like how much, how much energy you need compared to someone else. And focus on that instead of comparison all right then okay that was great do you want to do one of your questions Catherine yeah let's go for it um what would you say is a good way to handle alcohol consumption when trying to eat intuitively there were some occasions this weekend when people were drinking around me I didn't feel like it so it was no issue for me to abstain but I know from experience that when I do drink which isn't often um, maybe once a month on special occasions, I get less restrained and often overdrink or overeat, even if I'm just a bit tipsy. What do you think? Did I not, did I not reply to this? I love that I get asked as the, yeah, want... as the drinker. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. It's so easy for me to just be like, I have no temptation with alcohol. Mm. 
so like I can take it or leave it if I want to drink I'll drink but if I don't I don't and I don't yeah so I don't think it's very relatable for me to be like just don't like just don't do it then yeah I don't really enjoy it anyway so someone was talking to me the other day about cutting out red meat and I was like oh do you miss it I was like no because I didn't really like it anyway so it's not really like a huge thing for me to cut it out because I basically didn't eat it in the first place and same with alcohol it's like I don't really drink it but I never really have been a big drinker so um I do enjoy the odd glass of wine or a glass of Prosecco but it's just like any other thing that you really enjoy the more you have it the less you enjoy it and I find if I've got like a night out or a night in or something like that, people are coming around for dinner, I can limit myself to two and I need to space them out and I need to really enjoy them. And they need to be really good quality as well. Like they need to be absolute hell yes drinks. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that if I have three, I don't, I don't feel great the next day. And as you're saying in the question, like you're, inhibitions go down so you're more likely to overeat you're more likely to keep drinking so know yourself like what's your limit is it two drinks is it three drinks do you need to space it out a little bit more do you need to drink nicer things like don't be drinking cider or anything disgusting. that's such a good point like <laughs> I was at a wedding the other week and I was like yeah I probably will have a drink in the evening but it was like the option was like diet coke and vodka and I was like I don't want like even, like here's like a spicy margarita or something I'd be like yeah do you know what I will have one or two but I was like do I want like a vodka diet coke no like none of me wants that I don't drink beer like I'm like nah I'm not so yeah I think that's a good point like go and have something you really enjoy and then the realization that the more you limit something that you really enjoy the more you will enjoy it like restriction actually makes you enjoy it more if you have wine every single night you won't enjoy it as much as if you pick two nights a week where you're going to sit down and really enjoy like a really nice glass of wine as opposed to having one that's all right every night Mm. all right one every night is not healthy no 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 okay guys thanks for your excellent brains and thanks everyone for the questions we will be back to answer the rest i've noted where we left off so we won't miss any and get your check-ins in on Friday. Bye. Bye.